being alone in this vast desert, it, it gave me a sense of perspective on, on kind of the human condition and my place in the universe, if you will. And rather than feeling infinitesimally small and therefore unimportant, what it did is it just made me feel connected to the rest of the universe, uh, to the rest of humanity. And just having that perspective gave me this sense of, of, of inner peace and, and humility which, uh, which I think was the beginning of the, of the healing process. So that started relatively early on in those first few days of the, of the day. Today on the show, we're joined with author Arya Green. He is the author of the book, My Israel Trail, Finding Peace in the Promised Land, which was written after an incredible journey he took through the Israel Trail on foot, took him eight weeks, and it was inspired when he was going through some low points of his life, feeling shook up from a divorce. And throughout the journey, experiencing such amazing revelations and reflections through both beauty and hardships along the way. This is such an amazing story and I was honored to pick his brain. I feel like I got a lot out of this interview. And, um, and if you do too and you want to get an even further in-depth look, into his journey you can purchase the book my israel trail that's available everywhere where books are sold but without further ado we're going to get right into this interview he's actually living in israel right now and uh was about seven hours ahead my time <laughs> it was afternoon for me the night time for him and we jump in right after i asked the question what initially sparked this journey so here we go well I, the truth is the the first time um uh, that I thought about doing it was when a, a, a friend or children of some friends of mine, uh, or I would say friends of my children, children of my friends, there are all sorts of different younger generation uh, um, uh, kids, as it were, 20, 21 year olds, 22 year olds after their, their uh, national service or their, their uh, service in the, in the Israel defense forces um, went, you know, on this trek. And I joined some of them, you know, a day here and a day there. Uh, the truth is, hiking culture is is really embedded in Israeli society um, from a young age. Every school child has every year an annual trip, at least one, often two or three. And as a father of young children growing up, I used to go every year with each of my three children, at least one or two trips a year. And uh, the schools loved it when I could come with them and be an accompanying adult because I'm all I, I'm trained as a medic. Uh, and you have to have a medic along mm -hmm. on any of these trips with your school, you know, school regulations. And you have to have a, uh, a unfortunately, because of our, the reality we live here in, uh, in Israel, in the Middle East, you have to have an armed guard. I happen to have a gun license. So uh, oh, that was kind of killing two birds with one stone, literally. And, uh, and also <laughs> I play the guitar. And so it was good to have around and handy to have around for an evening to help the, the kids calm down and have a bit of entertainment. So I used to do that you know, probably six, six to nine times a year. And also we took family hikes and trips around, around Israel. Uh, and I did so also in California growing up, um, Yosemite, the California coastal range, you know, day hikes here or there, even a few one or two night overnights. Um, so a kind of hiking, walking, certainly here in Israel, walking the land of our, of our ancestors is really, as I said, part, part of our, culture but the 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 real impetus you mentioned the divorce and i i was finalizing a, a very difficult devastating divorce in my life uh, a divorce i hadn't looked for which we can talk about later perhaps mm -hmm. and wasn't 
wasn't my choice. And my daughter and I, my daughter who had just finished the, her national service, her service in the IDF, uh, we took a little trip. We went to Barcelona. We went to visit my folks and old friends and family in California. And we hiked in Yosemite. We hiked up Half Dome. Sean, are you familiar with Half Dome? I'm not actually. Uh... So uh, uh, I don't know you or our, our viewers, our listeners may or, be, may or may not be familiar, but Half Dome is a, is a granite mountain literally sliced in half in Yosemite, uh, Yosemite National Park. It kind of looms over Yosemite Valley. And it's an excruciatingly difficult hike up to uh, the top of Half Dome, including literally scaling the, the back of this almost vertical granite slab, uh, which takes itself a good three hours or so from the, from the bottom to the top, uh, in addition to the at least four or five hours just to get there to the base tamp camp. We did it in two different days overnight, my daughter and I. But the point is that wow. you, you, you kind of clamber up the side of this, uh, of this granite uh, uh, mountain holding on to cables and the wind buffeting you. So you might, you know, you're really in, in fear of, of, of falling off. People have, people have. Oh, wow. Yeah. That sounds so um, scary in a way. It really, really was. It was one of the most difficult, one of the most challenging, both, both physically challenging, but also emotionally and psychologically challenging uh, things I think I've ever done. Certainly that my, my, my daughter, Maria had ever done. And we got to the top of it and I basically looked at her. Obviously we were, celebrating it was just you know in jubilation oh we did it wonderful mm. and i looked at her and i said you know what this you know th this has really given me the impetus i'm gonna hike the trail oh, and this wow. was yeah and that was just a that decision was just a few months before the the, the divorce is finalized we knew that it was that it was uh, imminent and so that that's basically what pushed me to then you know start the preparations in earnest and then I was out on the trail just a few weeks after the divorce was finalized. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I can that, see that. that giving you the the confidence with your own mind and body from like just that big feat of doing the mountain. It's like, okay, what else yeah. can I do? Can we do this trail? And like, if that was something in the back of your mind, it's kind of giving you yeah. that uh, that spirit where like I, I'm going to go for it and I can do this type of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, that's that's so amazing and. Uh, yeah, it's it's like like uh, like you mentioned too. Like the the trail took you eight weeks, and that's uh, astonishing to me uh, to actually go out there and do that. And like prior to like just wanting to do it, like uh, did you know you were gonna have all these like certain reflections and everything that you've kind of put out in your book? And like did you did you expect it to be the experience? that you got or was it something totally different? Yeah, it's a good question. The answer is no, I, I did not expect it. Um, the, the original impetus to go was uh, after three years or so of dealing with this, this uh, uh, the divorce mm -hmm. uh, and the difficulties you know, that, that, that engendered and the, the breaking up of our family and what have you and having talked uh, incessantly <laughs> yeah. to, uh, to therapists, to friends, to my former wife, to the family, what have you, you know, I just, I just wanted to get out. And as somebody told me many weeks later on the trail to sum up what was a three-year process of agonizing introspection and, uh, and, and challenging, you know, personal, personal growth, uh, issues, this, uh, fellow who met me on the trail said, Oh, I understand. You just want to clear your head. 
And that was basically the impetus just to get out and to, and to, and to start this trek. And no, I, I did not anticipate, I, I certainly didn't expect to write a book um, about the experience, but I didn't anticipate the depth and the power um, and the poignancy of the different lessons that I learned on the trail and, and the, the resulting real healing. I think for me, it was much more of an escape. I hadn't anticipated um, the kind of revelations that I would, that I would um, or epiphanies that I would experience um, as I was hiking over the course of those eight weeks. And yeah, I had never done anything like this. I mean, as I mentioned, I, I hiked as a kid, as a college student. I worked at a summer camp near Yosemite and out there in the Sierras. You know, I, I would do backpacking, you know, for a night. For two yeah, nights. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that was the extent of my so so the idea of doing a trek of uh, of what basically was 48 days of hiking, uh 48 and not 54, because I didn't hike on the Jewish Sabbath on Shabbat. Uh so I hiked six days a week for eight weeks mm-hmm. running. And and I, I had never, never done such a thing. Looking at back on it now, you know, I, I know I wrote in my journal on that very first day. You know, what the heck am I doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. It's like, uh, wow, is this crazy idea? Stepping out into the unknown in a way where you're just like, is this a good idea? Is this a bad idea? And I also no, want to no, no, ask, was, like, yeah, yeah, like, was, oh, I'm sorry to cut you off with the, <laughs> that's okay. There's a little tiny delay with the time, but <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, I was just going to say, it, it, it wasn't even a question of, is this a good idea? Is this a bad idea? There was no question that first day, the challenges that I faced just on the very first day. It was a bad idea. <laughs> a yeah. idea. What am I doing here? I mean, I was 51 years old. Okay. The usual cohort that hikes the Israel trail is 21 years old, as I mentioned. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing this trail with a 50 pound pack on my back all alone. Mm. And there's no question that was my, my conclusion that first day is this is the craziest thing anybody has ever done. Yeah, I, I want to ask too, like before you set set out and everything, like what was it like packing that bag? I can imagine you're trying to hit all the essentials, but also maybe you want like maybe some reading material. You got to maybe bring the gun, maybe the guitar. Like, do I leave the, the guitar? Like, I can imagine like it's being that being a difficult part too. just... Uh, hoping you're prepared for that trek well i I did do a certain amount of preparation first of all i I read there's kind of an informal unofficial but still the the primary guide to hiking the israel trail which is called the red book informally uh the guide to hiking the israel national trail and i had read it uh, thoroughly both in english and in hebrew to get an idea of what i was uh, up against i had to arrange for a number of different food and water drops some of which i went ahead and, and buried or hid some some uh, uh, non-perishable foodstuffs and, and water bottles in various places uh, on our drive down and i had to arrange for desert tour companies to ensure that i had water uh, resupplies in certain areas where I wasn't going to be able to supply myself over the course of a day or two or three in the, th- the initial three weeks of the, of the hike in the desert. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I'm relatively, I was in relatively good shape for a 51 year old. I bike maybe three, four times a week. Um, not extensively, but for an hour or two in the hills here, the, the foothills of, of the Jerusalem mountains um, where I live. And so, in fact, it's dark now, so I can't show you for our, for our listening audience, I will just say I'm, I'm panning the the uh, 
the camera behind me and over to the hills. What you see in the distance here from my roof balcony is the just after the sunset, the, the kind of last rays of light there in the dark sky and, and silhouetted are the, the, the foothills of the Jerusalem mountains. We're looking yeah, at very beautiful to the west. Yeah. Even um, when we started to see that sunset, it, it was cool to kind of watch yeah. it go down behind you. <laughs> Good ambiance yeah. for the interview. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, so I wanted to do it and not, not just in my study. I wanted to do it out here in the sukkah, in our, in our tabernacle. We'll talk about that in a second. But so I did, you know, I, I, I was in relatively good shape because uh, I did a decent amount of biking. Um, but I also did a few test hikes, including putting about 50 pounds of rocks in my backpack uh, and, wow. and walking f 15 miles to make sure that, that the, the kind of schedule that I had mapped out for myself based on the, the red guide was doable, that I wasn't biting off more than I could chew. Of course, what I didn't realize, or what I didn't think about, or I didn't measure properly was hiking through these low-lying hills in the, the foothills of the Jerusalem mountain range uh, for, for 15 miles with 50 pounds on my back was, uh, doable. And I did it in the course of eight hours. I knew I could do about five hours, five, five kilometers an hour, which is, I guess, what, three miles an hour or so. Um, but I didn't take into account that that wasn't in the heat of the desert or the cold rain hail of the Jerusalem Hills. And it wasn't a sense of, you know, uh, a thousand, a thousand yards, a thousand Cause, meters. Cause I, I wasn't even thinking till now, like the desert, extremely hot in the day freezing at night and that's gotta be such a tough thing that to, to handle with as well well it, it's true when you talk about the physical hike itself um there are all, all sorts of different um elements that you have to take into account but on the other hand um i started out in the mid mid february which is maybe two weeks two weeks prior to the really kind of official unofficial opening of the season but but that's the way the seasonal hikes work is that if you want to start in the south in the desert you start at the end of winter so it's not quite that hot you're not talking about you know 100 110 degree heat in the desert you're talking about 80 85 you know reasonable heat although when you're hiking with 50 pounds in your back it still feels uh, pretty um pretty impressive um but uh if you yeah, want to very impressive <laughs> so so no oppressive i said but um oh oppressive oh, uh, sorry yeah <laughs> um the the heat but um no so so there are ways obviously that you mitigate some of the some of the, the geographical and, and and weather issues mm -hmm. yeah and um as you said out on this hike um when did it start becoming or when did when did you know it was starting to become like a mental healing experience was it a few days in? Was it a week in? Um... You know, it's a good question. Um, and partially because uh, I obviously relate to this uh, in some, some detail in the book. Um, it was probably not the first day, but the first few days where it dawned on me. Um, I do remember, I don't know if I mentioned this in the book, but I do remember in the first day, as I set out from, I literally walked out of the hotel that a friend and I had stayed over the Sabbath, over Shabbat and Sunday morning, walked from there with my backpack and started out on the trek because that's where the trail starts. It's just literally uh, across the street from uh, where this hotel is on the, on the Red Sea, on the Gulf of Eilat. And, and I remember explicitly going up through something called Wadi Shlomo, which is the, the Valley of Solomon. Um, and about 
a few hours into it saying to myself, you know what? I'm going to do this. Mm. I'm going to do this. And, and, and recognizing in spite of what I said earlier about that was later that day that I was saying to myself, are you crazy? Cause I got caught <laughs> on the side of a, I got caught on the side of a mountain where I, I wasn't sure where I was going. And I was literally uh, fearful um, because it was so steep. Uh, and I, I was physically, I was worried about not getting to my night camp. Uh, that night where the water was, where I could pitch my tent. Um, but certainly within those first few days in the desert, I experienced a great sense of humility, of being alone and being surrounded by the universe and being in the midst of this silent, uh, trudging step after step, minute after minute, hour after hour, day after day, um, uh, almost overwhelming silence, which could have been frightening, but instead was incredibly calming. And, and and liberating yeah. because, you know, e- even though I'm not saying, I mean, my problems, my suffering, my anguish, uh, the pain I was feeling, the anger, it was all real. Um, so it wasn't minimized, but it, but, but being alone in this vast desert uh, on my own, it, it gave me a sense of perspective on, on kind of the human condition and my place in the universe, if you will. And rather than feeling, oh, yeah infinitesimally small and therefore unimportant what it did is it just made me feel connected to the rest of the universe uh to the rest of humanity and just having that perspective gave me this sense of 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 inner peace and and humility which uh which i think was the beginning of the of the healing process so that started relatively early on in those first few days of the of the desert that's so beautiful to me um I find just in life in general, especially me, like living in the city, there's always constant noise around you too. And it's almost makes me think it's like, what is my own thoughts too? If I was just left alone with that, um, you kind of cut out for a second here. Um, are you still there? Oh, I don't know why. Oh okay. yeah. Oh, well, well, your audio is still there. So that's, that's good. Okay. So. Now that happens sometimes. Yeah, it's all okay. good. There's a way, a way I can get it back. Ah, there we go. There you are. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Sorry but, about uh, that. yeah, no problem. But uh, yeah, just kind of what I was saying. It's uh, it's it's interesting to see like uh, like your own perspective if you're only left like with your own thoughts i i seen like uh places pop up in the city that's getting pretty popular like uh they have like the isolation like float tanks type of things too but it's still huh. like you go to these places and you know there's there's people around you and everything but yes to truly yes. be alone in the desert just looking up at the stars and everything I can imagine that almost unlocks like a certain part of your mind that maybe you're not utilizing day to day. Would you agree with that? Or is that part of your experience or? Without, without question. I mean, yeah. I, I, I've practiced different forms of meditation over different uh, phases in my life. Um, and most, um, uh, most frequently and most intensely in those few years uh, leading up to the divorce and that led directly into um, the, the hike itself. I went on a silent meditation retreat six months prior to the hike, uh, a four-day 
uh, silent meditation uh, retreat where both I learned some new practices, which came in very handy, and also uh, was kind of the beginning of this desire for kind of less talk uh, and more introspection, you know, less, mm. uh, less trying to work things out verbally and more just seeking that kind of inner, inner sense of calm and, and peace and stability and harmony. Um, and so the, the desert, the three weeks that, that began the, the, the trek for me were, were instrumental in, in creating that kind of an inner, inner, in fact, it's funny. I took a, a photo of myself meditating or just after meditating uh, on the side of a cliff in the negative desert. And I sent it to a friend of mine who happens to be a psychologist, a therapist. I said to him, Hey, Moshe, this is a picture of me meditating on the, on a mountaintop. And he writes me back saying, Arya, this entire trek is just one long meditation. Yeah. And, and, and that true. certainly became, yeah, that, that became true. Mm, wow wow yeah that's amazing um i'm sure you mentioned it in your book as well but um um i kind of touched on like a, when did it start becoming a healing uh, process for you um what were kind of some of the things that were opening up inward like the knowledge you were receiving from being as you mentioned just one with yourself and the universe and feeling that way as well well um, as I recount in the book, and, and as I really do like talking about, there, there were basically five lessons that I learned from the physical trek itself. In other words, these weren't just uh, ephemeral kind of you know, ideas that came to me. They, they came out of specific experiences um, in the physical hike, like the silence of the desert which led to this understanding of how important it is to have a sense of humility, have, having a sense of perspective, you know, a modest perspective of our place in the universe. And that opened me up to, to all four of the other, the other elements. And the second element uh, was, a, was a, a sense of acceptance of the reality that, that I was facing. And uh, that day that I already mentioned, it was the first day that I was on the side of this mountain and I felt like I couldn't go any further. Um, I, had, I had taken a, 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 a route, a trail that the trail guide had suggested, if you have the time, you should go this way because the, the views are breathtaking. And I chose to do so out of my ignorance of not knowing how steep it was going to be. because I didn't bother checking the elevation charts. Um, <laughs> and also my ignorance of not really recognizing how on the first day of a trek like this, with a 50, but did I mention I had a 50 pound pack on my back? Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. you might not want to take a side, a side uh, uh, little um, tangent, you know, you yeah, want to get a to your side to quest your, here and there. <laughs> exactly. You might want to just get to your base camp, you know, to your, to your night camp and find your water that you buried there a couple of days before and make sure you're okay. Anyway, I was on the side of this mountain and I basically started crying. I, I was going hand over hand over boulders twice my size with this 50 pound pack on my back first day out it started to rain it was hot this is the desert but yes it does rain occasionally in the desert and i was you know i just sat down and i and i i, I started to cry because i was really really not panicking but not sure what the hell i was doing or, or whether i was going to make it i thought even of calling my son to call out the the, the uh, IDF's rescue, um, Air Force rescue helicopters to come take me off the side of this mountain. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, what am I doing here? So 
instead of that, what I did is I took myself in hand and I said, you know what, Ari, you're on the side of a mountain. Nobody's going to come and take you off the side of this mountain. And you, you really do have a challenge to get to your night camp. And water is you know, not an insignificant element here while you're in the desert. Forget about food or, or a, you know, a comfortable tent and sleeping bag. Uh, you're going to have to figure out a way out of this. And that, that sense of an acceptance of the reality that I found myself in, not least because I had taken a decision, a bad decision, to try out this tangential um, uh, route without, without really knowing what the parameters were and how long it would take and how difficult it would be. And I've actually said to myself, all right, you know, this is your reality. You made a bad decision. Accept that and try and figure out what is a better decision now. What's the right decision now? Retrace your steps, go out to the road and hitchhike. You know, there's you know, 45 minutes away. I could have found a road and hitched to where the night camp was. Retrace your steps and take the other route instead of the gentle road or push on because you know that there's another path that you can find that that'll take you to the night camp. And I wrote in my journal that night, Sean, and this is kind of interesting because when I came around to writing the book, I went through the journal and I, and I found and reminded myself or, or, or rediscovered things I, I hadn't even remembered. Um, some neighbors, uh, dogs are barking. Uh, yeah, no problem. <laughs> forgive, forgive the background uh, music. Um, <laughs> and I wrote in my, my, uh, my journal that night, you know, just as I had to, and I made it by the way, I, I made it to the night camp um, that night uh, after dark for the record um, with my, with my uh, um, forehead lamp and guiding the way. Um, but I wrote in my journal that night, you know, that was um, not, just, not, not even a metaphor. That was a direct lesson uh, that's applicable to my general situation. It's not just about, you know, acceptance of the reality you find yourself on the side of a mountain you know you're divorced and i was somebody who who saw marriages for life i never saw myself as being divorced i have nothing against divorce as a as a concept obviously there are some couples there are some relationships that ought to uh, go their separate ways and that can be very healthy in my case that wasn't the case neither in terms of my attitude towards marriage nor as far as i was concerned throughout the process uh, was it necessary um, with regard to my relationship with my former wife. But as I wrote in my journal that night, you know, Arya, you know, you didn't expect this to happen, but this is your reality. You are divorced. Mm. You have to accept this reality in order to try and figure out, you know, what your next steps are. So that was the second lesson that I learned that was very powerful directly from experience on the, uh, on the trail. And I can go into the other three if you'd like but i don't know if you want the conversation to go in a different direction yeah yeah no i i love this and uh yeah i love hearing that lesson of just total acceptance too because um i believe that's the first step to healing a broken heart or like anything like this this goes beyond like your journey too like just in life too it's like um i'm even thinking of like times where I've just felt flustered and frustrated and like almost trying to mask the problem in a way. And then just finally like taking a breath and being like, no, this is the reality that almost it's uh it's like, it turns into something that you were, were running from. It turns into like a weight off your shoulders in a way. And yeah. it's like, now I can tackle this with a clear heads and uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I said that the, that the experience in the desert, um, which could have been overwhelming was, was in fact liberating. 
Um, and it's definitely part and parcel. The humility that I gained in those first few days and weeks was married to and was a basis for the acceptance um, that I achieved then uh, as kind of a second step. And there's no question that also really, as you say, it, it just frees up your, your psyche, your, your, your mind, your, emotion, your emotions to, to give you the space to, to explore whatever the issues are that you're dealing with, whether they're emotional or, or, or more abstract. Um, and and it, it frees you up, you know, instead of carrying, you know, the, the burden of trying to figure out why this is happening to me, just yeah. accepting it with a sense of humility, you know, enables you to look, look a bit more forward. Yeah, even you're making me kind of like reflect on like some moments in my life. And uh, I had a moment where there was a legit eviction notice on my door. Uh, nice. I moved to the big city. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know how I was going to do it. And uh, I had I thought I was going to leave the city. And um, I had I'm a videographer as well. And I had this one dream gig on the weekend. I'm like, OK, I might not be in the city for this much longer, but I am just going to just accept my situation and just right. do this and be present in the moment. And that right. thing led to me so many different connections where it ended up fixing my problem and like pushing forward too. It's just kind of like, um, I don't know, um, of like a magical lesson from the universe and like almost in a weird cosmic timing way as well too. It's, it's really, uh, it's really hard to explain in a, in a short form, but, uh, yeah, just um, there's a there's power in acceptance in like stepping forward and with a clear head yep. and just yeah yep. just going with it too and um yeah it's, yeah it's very really, very much so mm -hmm. yeah so you you mentioned too there's a there's a, there's there was other moments of different lessons as well like uh, I, I'd love I'd love to hear about that as well so um. Well, just in, in brief, the, the third lesson, which was also very much associated with the first two of humility and acceptance, was, was the, the sense of appreciation that I developed over the course of also those first three or four weeks, especially as I began to move from the, the Negev desert into the, the lower Hebron and Jerusalem hills, where it was more green, more foresty, and also nearing my hometown, which is where I'm speaking to you from now in the Jerusalem Hills, where my thoughts were turning towards my family, my kids, uh, mm. my extended family, my parents and my, my brother, also my friends who, because I have no family here in Israel for the last 35 years, our friends really are our family, um, who had all supported me very, very strongly in the whole process of the divorce and, of course, also in the, in the trek itself. Um, and the, the gratitude and appreciation that I, that I felt, I mean, this was just enhanced. I'd always felt very appreciative of the blessings in my life. Um, but, but from the trail itself, again, I say the physical trail was the impetus for, for every one of these lessons. And for, the, for, for this one, I, I remember, again, I, it's funny. I'm one of those guys who cries and admits it. So <laughs> uh, it's funny to hear myself mentioning, again, I cried. I, I, I actually... Um, had tears running down my cheeks when I saw the first flower that I came oh. across in, in the, this geographical transition from the desert of the northern Negev into the Jerusalem hills. There's this beautiful purple flower, which I took a photo of. Um, and uh, I, I was just so overwhelmed with, with appreciation for 
for the the, the beauty and the, and the life force mm. um, to a certain extent coming out of the grays and the browns and the yellows and 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 the the black rock of the desert into this this kind of shock of color in front of me which which obviously had a had a wider um, meaning for me in terms of the reinvigoration of life and the and the reassertion of the power of life to me and, and that got me thinking a lot about the appreciation and gratitude that I had and have for for all the blessings in my life and so that was the third lesson how important it is that we not just be grateful but that we express that appreciation whether it's in our prayers which which uh, as a as a traditional and observant Jew I do every morning with the prayer Mode Ani, uh, which is in Hebrew, I am thankful uh, for for all the blessings in my life, or whether we express it to the people that we're we're grateful for. And for me, that included trail angels, who are individuals or or small groups that host through hikers on the Israel Trail to come and stay in their house and they feed us and give us a bed and do our laundry and give us a shower and uh, you know run us back to the trailhead in the morning as as necessary and, and and for no for no pay absolutely oh, free wow. um and so the the gratitude that i felt whether it was for a flower or for the trail angels or, or what have you obviously it translated into the feelings and and reinforced and, and enhanced the feelings of, of gratitude that i had for my for my family in my life yeah. and uh so that was the third lesson and, and the truth is which, which leads me to the fourth lesson. The, the truth is I, I was grateful even to my former wife, mm. um, but both in general, being full of gratitude for the 30 years or so that we had spent together, raised three beautiful, wonderful, intelligent, and creative and loving um, children uh, to the faith-based home that we had created together here in Israel. My wife having come from England, me having come from America, um, the communities that we helped to build, um, just the, the appreciation that I felt to her for our life together, which we had built together, which no one can take away from us, irrespective of the dissolution of the marriage. Um, you know, that, that was a very important point, a very important part. In fact, it kind of sounds counterintuitive, but I was grateful to her for the divorce, which enabled me to have this amazing uh, experience of hiking the the Israel trail, which I never would have done if I had been, yeah, had for needed sure. this kind of healing from the, from the trauma, the divorce. Yeah, for sure. It like turned into something beautiful, you know? And Yeah, uh, it, it really did. And so, so, you know, as difficult as that sounds or as counterintuitive it sounds, I, I was grateful to her, but, but it kind of, that leads to the, to this fourth element because um, my, I still was carrying a lot of anger a lot of resentment, a lot of pain and suffering for, for, for the pain and suffering that, that, that she had caused to me and to our, our kids and to our wider family and, and, and breaking up our, our family. I, I want you to understand, and I think it's important that your listeners and our viewers also understand, intellectually, I understood, you know, my former wife was an adult. She had a right to make whatever decision she was going to make that was right for her. Um, so at the level of the uh, of kind of the, the intellectual argument, especially as somebody who considers myself very much uh, a feminist um, in the purest sense in the world, in terms of of the word, in terms of promoting uh, a woman's right to uh, any and every 
decision that she would want to make or take about herself, her life, her body, or what have you. Um, I, I hadn't rejected or objected to her her right to take this decision. I didn't feel it was necessary. We had a long and beautiful marriage, friendship, romance, love affair. We were the exemplary example, uh, the paradigm of a loving partnership for all of our friends, for our children, for our family. And when, when my former wife said she wanted a divorce, it came out of literally out of nowhere. And I know that's a little bit kind of, it sounds one-sided, uh, but as I describe in my book with her permission, what it turns out afterwards was discovered is that she was suffering from depression and she was uh, basically very extremely sad and depressed and she couldn't figure out why. And she kind of fixated on, well, you know, if I leave the marriage, then that, you know, then I'll be happy. And by the time she was diagnosed, it was too late. Um, she was already committed to the path of divorce. There was like a, a two week um, uh, hiatus there where kind oh, of we yes. both said oh, this changes everything this this uh, uh, diagnosis but after two weeks she said you know what even if now I understand that it's not the marriage that was the cause of my of my anguish I still want to get divorced <laughs> so, yeah yeah it's just um, decision the decision has been made and uh, yeah it's actually yeah. Yeah, then, that's interesting you you explain that too because uh, this isn't the first example I've heard of that too where uh or even seen like a relationship kind of end out of nowhere. And uh, they, it's just going through somebody's mind of trying to figure out why they're feeling sad. And they think it was a relationship. And then later on realizing that wasn't the root of the problem and just trying no. to search and scramble and reorganize and see if that works almost in a way. And, yeah. Yeah. So, am I, I mean, obviously every situation is unique um, from, from my perspective that, that it was, it was incomprehensible to me throughout the entire process that whatever the issues were that were troubling my former wife, that we couldn't resolve them, not just amicably, but lovingly and together and in partnership and with help from therapists to, to salvage and to, to re, reinvigorate the love uh, that, that we had shared for so many years. Unfortunately, that was not to be. Um, but what happened for me on the trek was I was hiking along the border with Lebanon in the north um, in, the in the fifth week of the, of the trek. And because there are many, many Arab villages there in the north of Israel, and this border with Lebanon was, uh, was literally right there next to me as I walked, um, uh, we haven't really talked about my background, but I happen to have a master's in international relations and I've spent a lot of uh, my academic career uh, and professional career looking at and, and discussing and, and uh, thinking about talking about the Arab-Israel conflict. And so it was natural for me over the course of those, those uh, weeks hiking along the, uh, the border of Lebanon, the north of Israel, uh, where there are very sizable communities of Arab-Israelis, mostly Muslim, some Christian, um, that my thoughts were turning to how we could perhaps see and find ways to to move ahead with a real resolution of the uh, of the Arab-Israel conflict. And one of the key components that I came to was the absolute necessity for a, a process of forgiveness between Arabs, Arab Muslims, Arabs in the region, Arab Israelis, Palestinians, and others, in terms of a forgiveness of Israel, our our 
insistence on our existence, <laughs> our <laughs> existence on our 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 defending ourselves. Uh, obviously, the results of our of our military, our defensive military operations, which cause and still cause uh, um, you know injury and death and, and property destruction, have you? And that there, there there needs to be a process of forgiveness in the same way that Jews and Israelis and Jews around the world have to forgive the Arabs for their their century long, uh, more than a century now, effort to to annihilate us and and their their constant violent hostility to our very existence, let alone um, our right to an independent state and their their terrorist attacks and their killing our children and our parents and 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 the wars that they engendered um, and and that's where my thoughts were as I was walking through through the north and at one point in particular I won't go into the details there's a particular uh, kind of very um, immediate and, and 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 poignant experience I had that enabled me to transition from an academic kind of intellectual, sense of forgiveness of, uh, of my former wife to a real heart or gut level forgiveness of her. And, uh, and that was so crucial for me in terms of my healing was to move that one step beyond the forgiveness I had already achieved to a really heartfelt um, level of, uh, of forgiveness of her for basically destroying our family um, and uh, and causing so much pain and suffering, uh, and for me, if I said that the that the humility and the acceptance was liberating in the desert, this was an overwhelming sense of relief uh, that 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 really enabled. I think that the final that that fourth element was the final element in my in my healing, um, and that left me the last two weeks of the trek to to uh to work on the fifth element that we can talk about in this yeah second. yeah it's it's really interesting too it seems like as you're the longer you're on this trek too it seems like um just whether it's like the healing and knowledge it keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper as you go on and it's like you you mentioned that feeling of forgiveness like have you ever felt anything like that in your entire life or is this just like its own unique like feeling it well, within your heart inside of you yes yes and yes yes i have felt it before yes it was unique in terms of this this full-hearted uh um so deep uh, sense of forgiveness and the, and the reason for the former the reason i'm saying yes to the former that, that it has come before is that in jewish tradition in our religious tradition uh in fact this was just now a week ago, we, we uh, commemorated and celebrated Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, which in the Jewish calendar is the, is the peak of our high holiday season or our, our New Year reflective period as individuals and as a community. Um, and one of the very important elements of Yom Kippur, the word Kippur in Hebrew uh, means um, uh, atonement. And the idea of asking and giving forgiveness is enshrined in our religious tradition and our faith, um, as well as in our communal life as a nation, um, for over two, three thousand years. Um, and every year, when I speak to my parents, my spouse, my children, my friends, and ask their forgiveness for any harm or any any uh, ill will or or any offense that that I've committed 
over the previous year. That's always heartfelt. That's not just a, a kind of a ceremonial uh, um, sentence that, that, that rolls off the tongue and you kind of check that box. Okay, I've asked for forgiveness and I've, I've received forgiveness. But it's, but it's a spiritually deep and, and meaningful process. And so I can't say that, that uh, the concept of forgiveness that I was thinking about when I was walking in the North and that then translated into this, this kind of epiphany that I had uh, with regard to my former wife, that, that it was new or that it was so very unique. But yes, as you said, the, the depth uh, of the experience um, was without question very different than the intellectual level that, that uh, I had basically you know, accepted and, uh, and, and carried with me in the final months leading up to the finalization of the divorce and, and after it. So it was, a, it was a real turning point. It really was. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Uh, so you mentioned right now you're five weeks in. Um, what's kind of going through your mind? You're like past the halfway point. It's like home stretch. Uh, are you like feeling like, hey, this this is such a beneficial journey. I wish this walk was forever. Or are you just feeling like I can't wait get, to get back home? Like, how? Oh how are you no, that's, that that's actually it's it's <clears throat> your your question, Sean, is so on target um, because it was it was at that point those last few weeks. Where, where there were two or three things happening simultaneously. One was, even though I had said to myself at the outset, hey, I'm really going to do this. Once I got to that fifth, sixth week, and I only had two, three weeks to go, you know, I, I knew, wow, I'm, I'm really doing this. I, I'm going to finish this. This is amazing. Yeah. Come this far, of course, I'm going to continue. I was walking then from the border on the, in the north down toward through the, through the Galilee, out to the coast, down the coast to Tel Aviv, and then hiking literally inland, literally to walk into my community to come back home by foot, on foot. I wasn't going to end the trek and then take a bus or a taxi or have somebody drive me home. I was walking actually home. And that walking home meant that I had this feeling of, of going home, of completion. Uh, and and uh, that then engendered exactly the question that you raised. So what's going to happen next? And, and on one hand, yes, I wish I could keep going. Um, I would have loved to have kept going. In fact, I'm committed to doing the trail again, which we'll perhaps talk about at the end of our conversation. Oh, wow. Um, oh, yeah. be, be, because I, I really would have loved to have just kept going, partially because it wasn't just enjoyable and incredibly meaningful to be walking in the footsteps of our, of our prophets and prophets and, and, and ancestors. But um, it was, of course, also uh, free of any care, free of any responsibility. You know, I, I didn't have to worry about if there was a leaky faucet at home. I had taken vacation from my work. My kids were all, you know, over the age of 18 and need me in any immediate sense. I obviously was now divorced, so I had no responsibility yeah, to, yeah. <laughs> to, to a wife or at home. So, so but, but the interesting thing about your question is it really does pinpoint that that last two weeks, I basically said to myself, well, hold on a second, Ray. You're going to finish this trek. And when you get home, when you walk through that door, you're still going to be divorced. Mm. You know, you're, you're yeah. going to be all alone. And now what? You know, what, what, what yeah. am I going to do now? Yeah, like, that's, that's, that's an interesting, it's another step into the unknown, almost like when you 
started the yeah. trail it's like ending the trail yeah. it's like a a yeah, new was, thing of like i don't know how this is going to pan out but it's coming it was very much that and that's what led my my thoughts again directly from the trail realizing that you know okay here i am um you know on the trail i i, I did a lot of well, my first degree is in psychology, and so I'm familiar with a number of different elements, books, and what have you that I'm sure you may be, or, or our listeners or viewers may be familiar with. Leo Buscaglia, Stephen Covey, various others in terms of, and Jewish tradition, as I already mentioned about the forgiveness element, also has a lot to say, as Stephen Covey does, about uh, the importance of goal setting and the importance of having a goal and having an objective and what have you. And, and you know, from, from my perspective about, from the hike, you know, the hike itself was a goal. Obviously, I, I had a goal, I had an objective. I wanted to hike the Israel Trail. Um, and each day had a goal. You know, I had to get to the night camp or, or wherever I was staying that night. Um, and I had the overarching goal, as you can imagine, of getting my life back on track, um, you know, after the, the divorce. But in those last few weeks, I started to put these thoughts together under almost a different rubric. Uh, you may be familiar with, um, with uh, uh, the book Man's Search for Meaning, Man's Search for Meaning uh, by Viktor Frankl. Um, okay. Without going to, uh, yeah, it's definitely worth reading. It's fascinating in one sentence and it's uh, almost a disservice mm -hmm. to try and, and summarize it in one sentence. Mm -hmm. Viktor Frankl was, uh, experienced the Holocaust, was, was in a concentration camp and developed in that concentration camp a whole new theory of psychological healing, which is based on, as the title um, implies, um, based on his observations that people who, ha who had a reason to live were more likely to survive the concentration camps than people who had given up and didn't have a specific uh, explicit reason to live. So whether that reason was, I want to see my kids again, or I want to see my wife again, or that reason was I want to take revenge against these bastard Nazis, or whether that reason mm -hmm. was I, I, I think I found a cure for cancer and I, I've got to get back to my research or from, from Victor Frankl's perspective, actually in these observations, developing what he ended up calling a, a whole new school of psychotherapy called logotherapy. Um, his book, Man's Search for Meaning, uh, basically describes the process and then the the, the basis of this therapeutical approach, which uh, fundamentally says, if you have a reason to live, if you have a goal that you've set, um, that kind of sense of purpose is what gives your life meaning. That's so and fascinating. And it, it makes it, total sense in everything. It, it, it really is. It really, it really was. And, and I remembered that as I was hiking and thinking about the goals that, that I was achieving in terms of the hike and every day and for the whole hike, and what have you. Um, I was remembering back to Viktor Frankl's book, which I had studied back in college. And this idea of, you know, I, I need to set some goals for myself. So I did. Those last two weeks were full as I was walking through more urban areas and through fields and, uh, and uh, up and down hills and along and along rivers and streams. I was thinking about, okay, what am I doing when I get home and I'm still divorced and I'm still alone? Um, and when it was on the personal level of re-engaging, I've always been a very active and involved father, but even kind of upping my game with regard to being present and, and, and available for my kids, 
whether it was professional goals that I set in terms of where I wanted my career to head, um, and even a commitment that I would love again, a commitment and a belief in myself having gone through this healing that I was able, that I would be able to love again. All of these were goals that I, that I set for myself to give this kind of sense of purpose uh, a little bit uh, of, uh, of real detail and specificity. Uh, which would then uh, enable me to to re- bring back meaning into my life, and that was the that that was basically the fifth element. So it, it basically okay. all combines together from from the humility and the acceptance, which which engendered a, you know or led or helped to to um, promote a sense of gratitude, and all three of those together, which enabled me to to really forgive from the heart, and then putting all that together. Um, Focusing on the kind of the sense of purpose, which which we have to have to give our life meaning, that basically is what enabled me to to face my personal challenge. And in the end, one of the goals I set for myself was I said, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to write up these experiences. Maybe others mm-hmm. can can benefit from from these learnings. You know, you don't have to strap on a 50 pound pack and hike the entire Israel Trail over the course of two months." in order to, to, to understand and perhaps adopt some of these as techniques to meet you know, our own personal challenges, whether it's a death in the family or whether it's losing our job or divorce, what have you. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I can only say that these five elements, humility and acceptance, gratitude, and forgiveness, and, and a sense of purpose really were instrumental for me to, to heal and to move on with my life. And, and they've, I've carried them with me uh, ever since. Uh, and I've found from others that, that they can be helpful to, to, to many people who are facing their own, their own personal challenges. That is so heartwarming. And I'm so happy you kept a journal along the way too, even though you mentioned you didn't intend to make this a book, but um I'm so happy you got to share these experience with people because like, I'm sure people like reading this and hearing you talk in this episode as well to they can relate so many things you're talking about to their own life and everything I know just myself I'm trying not to cut off everything you say because it's making me think of like different things and different (laughs) lessons and even I feel like listening to you talk to and uh, having this conversation today it's a it's a very important episode to me too I feel like I'm gonna leave this and still be thinking about things you said it's almost like I'm gonna be processing other stuff later and it's um I, I want to say like thank you for uh sharing your experience and your knowledge uh not only with me but with other people and publishing this book it's uh just a beautiful thing man and yeah I appreciate you and well, thank you. Thank you for saying so, Sean. I mean, I'm really glad to, to, to be able to share it with you and with your listeners um, because it kind of that's what it's all about. I think when we, when we discover uh, some sense of truth or understanding of our universe uh, and, and we find tools that are helpful to, to ourselves to, to meet our personal challenges, not sharing them almost seems beyond selfish. It almost mm. seems... That you're you're actually squandering a gift that you've been given, and it lessens that I think uh, in in a in a very let's say um, existential 
way. There's something about the balancing of forces in the universe that if I've been given, you know, th this incredible healing through these, through these different elements, if I, if I weren't going to share it, then that lessens somehow, you know, the, the impact and, and, and their ability to, to help me continue on with my own journey. So I'm yeah. glad to have had the opportunity with you. I appreciate it. Yeah, that's, that's so beautiful. And also you mentioned uh, earlier, uh, you're thinking about doing the trail again too. Uh, <laughs> what, what is the, the motivation this time? Oh, well, um, it's funny here. I have a copy of the book um, and, uh, and um, in the acknowledgements, you can see that I refer to one particular individual. I mentioned now kind of in general that I felt towards the end uh, of the of the trail that I that I would that I was able to love again mm. uh, and in in the end uh, after coming back and, and settling back home and making some decisions and some of the other goals that I had set uh, I started to date and uh, what can I say I love mm -hmm. found me I was going to say I found love again but the truth is Miriam found me on the internet um, and mm -hmm. uh, I met my my wonderful and giving and caring and beautiful intelligent um warm supportive wife miriam we've been married now for six years we were oh, nice. married back in 2015 it's a year we dated for a year and we're married uh, a year after after a meeting um and so uh the one of the first things that i said to miriam when we got engaged not as a condition of getting married, but I said, you know, I would really like to, to hike the trail again. Uh, and I would love to do it together. So oh, all right. yeah. at the time I have three children, they're all married and I now have six grandchildren. We have six grandchildren. Um, at the time, uh, only two out of my three children were, were married. Um, and she has six children at the time that we got, uh, married, her youngest was 14. And so she mm. said, okay, we'll, we'll do the trail together. That's fine. Yes, Arya. Yes, dear. Um, but let's mm. wait until Yehuda, her youngest, uh, was, was doing his national service, his, uh, his military service in the IDF, because then he's kind of taken care of. He's in a framework. You know, she wasn't going to just disappear for yeah. a couple no, of months. No worries and weights on her shoulders right. with that. Like, oh, right, right. Yeah. Right. Well, he's in high school. So just actually a year ago, he's uh, been in the, in the army now for almost two years, about a year ago, after he'd been in the army for, for about uh, nine months, I turned to him and I said, Miriam, you know, Yehuda's, uh, Yehuda's doing his service now in the IDF, isn't he? She, <laughs> she said, yeah. Like, where are we going with this? I said, well, you said... And he's in, <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, in the idea. Her, it's like, hey, yeah, that's right. we're going to do, we're going to hike the trail together. And she said, you can't scare me. That's not a problem. Whenever you want to schedule yeah. it, we'll do it. So we're, we're planning it. Uh, we were going to do it actually this October. Um, but for a number of different reasons, we're putting it off slightly, probably until the, till the spring or perhaps next October, but we are committed to do it again. And uh, I, I think one of the motivations, first of all, I won't need a 50 pound pack this time because I'm a bit older. I'm going to allow myself an occasional uh, bed and breakfast or, or what have you. I don't have oh, to yeah. sleep. The, the original trip I did, I slept out uh, under the stars, you know, in the rough, um, in the field about two thirds of the time. I'd imagine when Miriam and I do it together and I'm nearing 60 and uh, she's not quite that, but uh, we'll probably end up spending no more than half of the time 
half of the nights out. We'll also push ourselves less. We'll probably take three months to do it. Yeah, um, that's nice. Um, but but the, the main motivation, I, I guess, was twofold. One is I really wanted to be able to enjoy it without the overlay of, of the emotional trauma that, that my mm-hmm. first experience contained. Now, now that I, I, I wouldn't trade what I went through for anything because of the lessons that I did learn and, and, and the whole world that it's opened up to me um, since, since then. But I would like to do it, and, I, and I'm looking forward to doing it with nothing but simcha, as we say in Hebrew, nothing but joy and happiness uh, and, and fulfillment without any of that overlay of the, the emotional baggage that I had to carry around with me along with that 50 pound pack. Um, <laughs> and, and, the, and the second thing is I really want to do it with Miriam because although as an Israeli, she also has done a lot of hiking in, in the land of Israel and, and she also enjoys this, you know, this connection we have to our ancestral homeland. Um, but to do it together means that this becomes then a shared experience not one which I had and then constantly talk about. And she, you know, jokingly, she knows a lot about it. She helped edit my book in the end. Mm, um, yeah, that's cool. But yeah, but, um, but this means that we could then build a kind of a, a shared experience of, uh, it'll be very different, but obviously a similar uh, yeah, um, yeah. trek on the Israel Trail and, uh, and have that then to, to reflect on for the rest of our lives together, please God. Oh, that's so beautiful. And yeah, like going out there, like with, uh, with a different experience too, that's a different perspective. That's going to be more lessons you never thought you're going to learn, like that's stepping right. in and, and you're right. probably going right. to learn even like a lot more about each other. And I think that's an amazing idea. Yeah. And that's yeah, beautiful. You two true. are doing that. That's great. Thank you. I have yeah. to, I'll report, I'll report back in when we do. We'll be yeah. I was just going to say like, years. uh, uh, pretty soon I got another recording with somebody but I'd love to have you back after that and like <laughs> catch up with you but uh certainly even, be, even I'm thinking like right to. now I'm, I'm enjoying the conversation so much I could probably talk to you for like five hours if I can have something <laughs> yeah, else booked to. as well but yeah, um, fair enough. yeah be, before we leave too uh can you let people know like uh can they find you on social media where they can find the book and all that if they want to follow your your next yeah. step and journey and or buy the book yeah, sure. So the, the book is My Israel Trail, Finding Peace in the Promised Land. Um, and uh, the website for My Israel Trail is, as the name sounds, www.myisraeltrail.com. Pretty simple. And there you can find some excerpts and photos and videos and recordings, what have you. Um, I'm on Facebook. The The book has a Facebook page, My Israel Trail. Um I have a, I'm on Facebook as R-E-A-D Green, um, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, et cetera. And the book's available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and the Book Depository, et cetera. Um, so uh, if anybody wants an autographed copy, they can direct contact me directly. My email is also on the website, or it's rea.green, my name, at gmail.com. And I'm always happy to sign a book to somebody who's interested in a, in a personal signed copy. And as long as, you know, They'll cover the cost of postage. I'm happy to, to do it at, you know, at, at the regular price. There's no premium to be, <laughs> to oh, that's be great. Uh, paid for a, for a signed, for a signed copy. Oh, that's, that's awesome. And uh, yeah, once again, thank you so much for your time and uh, your knowledge, your inspiration, the story. Uh, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. This has been 
one of my favorites on the show and i feel like a oh, lot thank you and not not just feel like i know a lot of people are going to enjoy this one and and hearing about your journey so thanks again and and yes like once again i like i mentioned i'll, I'll keep in touch i'll get you on instagram and hopefully we can do this down the road again okay i would be delighted to sean thank you thanks for your time i've really enjoyed it as well yeah anytime have a great night okay you too Hope all you guys enjoyed this wonderful episode with Aria Green. That was just one of those wonderful conversations that make me feel really good. And like we mentioned, you can find the book My Israel Trail available everywhere where books are sold. And I'll actually have the link to that on the page for this episode on our website at www.thecreativeandbalance.com. And while you're there, go check out some other episodes. Lots of great talks and more to come. But before we take off, I want to thank all you legends on the Patreon. First up, the co-producer, Jeremy Hopkin of Hopkin Design. The queen, Ola Mazuka of Sonic Fold. Ryan Watkins of Ryan Radio. Amanda McKnight of Top 10 Nerd. Pat Maloney, Ryan Campbell, Daniel Son, Drew Stewart, Devin Staple, Mike Ulio, David Kearney, Jared Pepper Bronstein, a.k.a. Mr. Spicy. And last but not least... Francis Coffer, a.k.a. my mom. Thanks again to everybody who listened to this episode, and we'll catch you again real soon. Peace!